Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. I do not plan to go through the entire Psalm, but just the second section in it, the eight verses from verse 9. You know, one of the most common assumptions we can make about life is in regards to its continuity. Uh, that is, we can tend to assume based on our past and the number of days and years we have lived that that is how it is going to be in the upcoming days and years. Or based on the average lifespan that exists or average number of years people live in this world, that that is how many years you and I are going to live as well. Now that is a tragic assumption to make. It is tragic because God's word tells us, Psalm 139 verse 16, His eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in his book are written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not even one of them. He knows our days. Our days are really numbered in that sense, and in God's book are written all the days that are ordained for you and for me. It might take our relatives, our friends, our family by surprise when we leave this world, but it will never take God by surprise. But why is this important to think about? Uh, because closely connected with this assumption is the fact that because we can be tempted to presume on the continuity of life, we can be tempted to say to ourselves, you know, go ahead and have a good time when you're young. Uh, live for the moment. Uh, test the limits. Uh, get it out of your system. Especially in the area of moral purity. Take risks. Explore. Be an adventurer. And when you are old, then you can turn to religion and being serious about life. Also closely connected with this assumption on the continuity of life is a lack of focus on our moral purity. A lack of focus really on holy living. A lack of focus on living a God-honoring life. We know what the right thing to do is, but we can te be tempted to echo the prayer of St. Augustine before he was a believer and before his conversion. He would say, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. Let me just live how I want to live, and when I've come to the end of myself, then I will live the way you want me to live. Big mistake. A tragedy of the worst kind. Our text for today is going to remind us that if we do desire to live for God, if we desire to live for God, and if you're a child of God, you should desire to live for God, the best time to start is the earliest possible moment in your life. It is, the, it is to start without any further delay. As someone has said, the best time to start is yesterday. The best time to start is yesterday because the choices you make today are based on the truths that you believed yesterday. So here's how I would summarize what we're going to learn today. God's word is the key to living a God-honoring life. God's word is the key to living a God-honoring life. You cannot, you cannot live a God-honoring life 
and be ignorant of God's word. Uh, you cannot live for the glory of God by neglecting to be in the word of God. And so as we begin this new year, it's an opportunity for many, many of us to get a fresh start. Uh, perhaps you look back at 2023 and you say to yourself, I really messed it up. I've made so many big decisions that I wanted to do as regards to being in God's word and I didn't stick to my plan. What a great opportunity to, to start afresh, a new beginning for some, but for others perhaps it's a refresher, a reminder of what we should continue to do. We're going to look together in Psalm 119 verse 9 to 16 today. You know, last year on the first Wednesday we met, we looked at the first eight verses and so today we look at the next set of eight verses. Lord willing, if you're here 20 years from now, and I'm here 20 years from now, we will see the end of Psalm 119. Uh, but I don't know, and you don't know either. So let's turn to Psalm 119 and look at verse 9 to verse 16. As you're turning there, uh, as you know, this is the longest of the 150 Psalms that are out there. And it's strategically placed because very closely placed to Psalm 119 is Psalm 117, which is really the shortest chapter. Uh, this Psalm, uh, actually, uh, this just Psalm 119, this single chapter is longer than 30 entire books of the Bible. There are 22 stanzas of eight verses each, making up 176 verses. And each stanza, as you look at your Bible, starts with the subsequent Hebrew alphabet. Uh, the first stanza starts with the first alphabet, which is Aleph. The second stanza starts with the second, until all 22 alphabets are used. And each verse in the stanza starts with the same alphabet. In that sense, it's called an acrostic psalm. There's no hidden meaning or mystery to arranging it in this way. It was simply a Hebrew poetical device which was a help in memorizing the psalm. God's people memorized the psalm and others, and what helped them in memorizing uh, this, this psalm and other psalms was the way it was arranged acrostically. So, the stanza we come to today begins with the Hebrew alphabet Beth, which is the second alphabet in the Hebrew language. And it's very interesting because Beth actually means home. One commentator writes, this stanza helps us as a child of God. How does it help us? It helps us how to make our heart a home for the word of God. How to make our heart a home for the word of God. So let's read these eight verses together. Psalm 119, verse 9 to 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. A blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. I've titled our lesson for tonight, The Pursuit of Purity. The Pursuit of 
purity. Let me just lay the foundation for us, set the stage up for us as we consider the first verse. Uh, The psalm begins really with a profound question and an equally profound yet simple answer. How is it that a young man, a young woman, how is it that they can keep their way pure? Answer, by keeping it according to God's word. Let's take this particular verse apart a little bit before we look at the rest of the verses. Uh, Why young? Uh, Does it mean that there's a different standard for older men or older women? No, it does not mean that. There is a different method for old and young. No, it means that it's the same. Young because that's the earliest that we can start. And God is just in claiming the first and the best. What more can we say about youth? You know, as you think of youth, which is where most of us find ourselves in as a a stage of life, there's a certain zest for life, a youthful energy, a sense of perhaps even carelessness about certain things. Uh, There's also inexperience. Uh, There is a passion, there's a desire for being independent. Uh, There's a certain freedom uh, that comes into your life as you move from childhood to adulthood. Then there is the pressure of the spirit of the age, which expects and even encourages us uh, to, uh, to think of moral compromises. All of these things take place in that season of life. And so the psalmist is saying, start early. Uh, For those of us who are young, um, almost all of us will consider uh, ourselves in that stage, which would be really the majority of us. What the psalmist is saying is, start now. In other words, as early as you can begin living for God, go ahead and do it. But why man? How can a young man, it says, It may be that the writer of the psalm is writing this for himself. It is as if he's saying this to himself. Rather than preaching at you or me, he's perhaps praying this for himself. Uh, This is his prayer for himself, which is preserved for us by God. And God preserved this for us because it is profitable for us. Then there is the word keep. Keep. How can a young man keep? his way pure. It's a verb and and it's placed there in what is called as the imperfect tense. Now in most languages, uh, an imperfect tense is a word that is a habitual kind of action that takes place in the past. But in the Hebrew language, there is an aspect of it that takes place in the past, but there is also an implication or an aspect of it that takes place in the present and the future. In other words, how can a young man continue now and in the future in the path of purity? That is really the question that is being asked. How can a young man keep his way pure? The Hebrew word therefore, way, is the word orak. One commentator writes, the word implies a track or a rut such as is made by the wheel of a cart or a a chariot. Perhaps you have seen some of those in some of the movies where there is a path that is made where the chariot has gone. That's the idea in mind as he thinks of the word way. And so when the wheel of a cart or a chariot repeatedly travels over land, it makes a mark. And that is the sense in which this word is used 
here, the repeated habits of a young man. That's what is in view here. How can he keep his way pure? Now, what is purity? Now, this implies really moral purity. It is to be morally clean or just. It is to be blameless. It is to be holy. It is to be living a God-glorifying life. Uh, this is what it means to live a God-pleasing life. How can I do that, Lord? I know how I, how I can do that. Notice the second part of verse 9, by keeping it according to your word. It reminds me of the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And how does man do that? How does he glorify God and enjoy him forever? By living a holy life. If you're a child of God, that is the very desire of your mind, to live a holy life. That is the very reason for your life. This is the very cry of your heart. I want to, and you want to live a holy life. What a great goal to keep in front of you as you enter this year. Lord, if you were to take me till the end of this year, I want to look back and say I have lived a holy life. I want to keep my way pure. And so how can a man, how can a woman live a pure life? How can I live a holy life? Notice the answer, by keeping it according to your word. Uh, the New King James Version translates this by taking heed according to your word. Uh, the English Standard Version says, by guarding it according to your word. Uh, the NIV translates this by living according to your word. I can live a pure life by bringing my life in alignment with what God's word says. That's it. Uh, there's no reason to overcomplicate this. When I do that, that's when I'm living a holy life. When my life is in line with what God's word says, then I'm living a life that honors God. And before we move to the next verse, notice another thing here. A life that honors God or living a morally pure life does not happen by chance. It does not just happen on its own. It's not accidental. You know, our natural fleshly inclination is to live an impure life. It is to live a sinful life. It is to move away from God. And therefore, we need to be intentional about living such kind of a life. We need to be on a mission. We need to be purposeful when it comes to living a holy life. We must take heed. We must guard. We must aim to live a certain way. How can we do that? Based on the next seven verses, I want to leave with you seven ways that the text encourages us to live as we seek to make our heart a home for the word of God. Seven ways that the text encourages us to live as we seek to make our heart a home for the word of God. First of all, notice verse 10. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Uh, first of all, seek God's word. Now, this is better understood even as it is translated here. Seek him. Seek God. Pursue him. With all my heart, he says, I seek you. It's that panting after God. It's hungering for God. It's, it's the picture of the deer that pants for the water brook, Psalm 42 verse 1. In that same way, we are to hunger 
for God. We are to seek God and his word, it says, with our whole heart. You know, in that sense, the Bible is not merely a textbook for the psalmist. This was how he sought and met with God. Do you think of the Bible that way? When you sit down and study his word, do you think I am seeking him? I'm pursuing him. My heart is hungry for God. To seek God with all our heart, when the natural inclination of our heart, the natural tendency of our heart is to steer away from him, is really to go against the flow. It is to do the opposite of what your heart, of my heart, is naturally inclined to do. You know, heart in the Old Testament was the seat of not only our feeling, but also our thinking. Uh, This is the core of who we are. We have to seek God with all of who we are. Stephen Yule, in his commentary, compares our heart to a musical instrument. For those of you who are involved in either playing music or understand a little bit of how that works, uh, our heart, he says, is like a musical instrument that needs constant tuning. You know, if you leave a musical instrument on its own for a few days and then take it up to play, you will find that the notes, that the music is not the same. Why? It is off tune. And just as the musical instrument needs constant care to be in tune, our hearts require to be in constant communication and in constant communion with God to be in tune. No wonder In Proverbs 4, Solomon writes, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. As Stephen Ewell goes on to say, If you are not actively seeking God through his word, we are wandering. If you are not actively seeking God through his word, we are wandering. And so the psalmist pleads with God. Notice the second line in verse 10. Do not, O God, do not let me wander from your commandments. And as you think of your salvation, uh, we think of salvation as all of God and his work in our life. And what we do is we merely receive it from him. But when it comes to our sanctification, when it comes to our becoming holy and pure, we actively participate in that process. Uh, We are a part of our becoming holy. Yes, it is true that God is the one who makes us holy, but we are active participants in that process. Uh, Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, even as God, thinking that God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so when we think of sanctification, we work with God actively in that process. And so what it says here is, it says, do not let me wander from your commandments. With all my heart I have sought you, but do not let me wander from your commandments. You know, in a world that bombards us with distractions, this is a tough challenge. Because far from remaining focused, our hearts are prone to wander. We're so easily distracted. You know, such a wandering is not some drastic straying away from God's word. Most of the times, this wandering is very subtle. It is just indulging in some careless thoughts. It's uh, spending inordinate amount of time on perhaps digital devices, if that's one of the temptations for you. Uh, It's perhaps being involved in pursuing some frivolous things, and before you realize it, a whole chunk of time in your day is gone. 
what is the solution? It is to pray to our God. Do not let me wander from your commandments and to seek him. Seek God's word. Seek him through his word. Plead with him to not let you wander from his commandments. First of all, then seek God's word. Secondly, notice verse 11, treasure his word. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. I have treasured your word. I have stored your word. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I would not sin against you. We tend to hide something when we either want to conceal it or when we truly realize the importance or value of something. Uh, Puritan pastor Thomas Manton, who preached actually through this entire psalm, in fact, he preached one sermon on one verse, and so he preached 176 sermons on this psalm, a great resource really if you're looking to dig further in the psalm. He writes, what we value most preciously, we save most carefully. What we, val- what we value most preciously, what we think of more precious, we save most carefully. We take care of it even more. And so God's word is hidden in the sense that it is on the inside. It is not visible to anyone. And so no one can see it. It's on the inside. It also implies that no one can take it away from us. You see, the psalmist received God's word through the faculty of his mind. He heard and he read the word of God. He thought about it continually. And then it became a part of who he was. And it impacted his mind and his heart. And what was one of the benefits of hiding or treasuring or cherishing God's word? It was that he did not sin against God. God's word in that sense was a defense against sin and the relentless temptation from Satan. You know, think of our Lord. As you think of Matthew chapter 4 and his temptation in the wilderness, what was his weapon? It was the word of God. It is also how the psalmist as a child of God shielded himself against the temptations from Satan. You see, when you cherish God's word, when you treasure God's word, you also desire to obey God's word. Now, cherish does not mean buying a calfskin Bible or a goatskin Bible or some most expensive Bible that is out there and then letting it sit in your bookshelf and carry and gather dust. No. To cherish God's word is to find out what it says and then go and do it. That's why Paul says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you in all wisdom. What does it mean to dwell It means to occupy. It means to settle. God's word is to be at home in our hearts. And and when the word is hidden in our hearts, our life, your life, my life, is in the best position to be shielded from sin. It is set up for spiritual success. You think of circumstances and experiences in your own life. When was it that you were most tempted to sin? when you are away from God's word. You know, perhaps you have seen, or perhaps you may have even written this in your Bible, and it is this sentence, this book will keep you away from sin, or sin will keep you away from this book. What is an antidote to sin? It is God's word. 
cherish it, treasure it. So first of all, seek God's word. Secondly, treasure God's word. Thirdly, submit to the teaching of God's word or study God's word or learn from God's word. Notice verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. It's almost as if the psalmist interrupts himself by just bursting out with praise. His desire is for a holy life. His desire is to live a pure life. And so he sees this desire to live a holy life, a pure life, and he sees the connection with God's word. And he sees how God's word is the very foundation to live a holy life. He sees how God's word is the very instrument to live a pure life. And when he sees that connection, he just bursts out with praise. He says, blessed are you, O Lord. Praise be unto your name, O Lord. The word blessed is also translated as kneel, to kneel down, an act of worship. Lord, you are worthy of the praise I have to offer. Worship. Worship is also then followed by, notice, a prayer. Teach me your statutes. Ingrain your word in my heart, O Lord. And therefore, a mere sitting down for a few minutes, reading God's word and moving on is not enough. Uh, The reading has to be followed by a deliberate action. An action that takes you deeper into God's word. So that you understand its meaning. After all, the meaning of the Bible is the Bible, right? Uh, This is not some mere academic exercise for us, not something that we do to show how knowledgeable we are in God's word, no. We're not to study God's word merely to, perhaps if you're into teaching, just to teach or preach it. No, we are to study God's word so that we can practice God's word. You know, one of the joys of my life is to study God's word and then get an opportunity to teach it. Uh, But I have to confess what brings me even more joy is to read and study God's word to feed my own soul. My heart is in tune with the prophet Jeremiah who wrote, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Jeremiah 15 verse 16. We are to study God's word. We are to learn from God's word. We are to be in God's word. And who best to learn God's word from than the very author of the text? Teach me, he says, your statutes. There are other Psalms that plead with God to help them understand what his word means. Psalm 119 verse 18, the psalmist says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Psalm 119, verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts so I will meditate on your wonders. Psalm 119, verse 33 and 34, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. What a prayer this is. You want to know the prayer that God delights to hear and answer? Look no further. Teach me your statutes, O God. Perhaps a good way to look at these verses that I've just quoted and use them as you go to God's word on a daily basis. Lord, help me to understand your word. You know, God longs for his children to approach him in this way and pray. 
and he takes pleasure in providing insight into his word for his children. He longs to hear you say, Lord, help me to understand what this word means. Help me to understand what this verse means. And how does God teach us? Well, externally, that happens when we are exposed to the word of God. But internally, it happens through the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit lightens up or turns on the light as regards to the word of God, it impacts our mind as the way, and the way that we understand it. And it influences our heart so that we apply the word of God. And elsewhere, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. Uh, the unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Your commandments, in verse 98, it says, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. What happens when the Spirit throws light on God's word? It leads us to live the kind of life that we have been called to live. You want to live the life that God has called you to live? Be in God's word. Seek God's word. Treasure God's word. Study God's word. Psalm 119 verse 144. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Why? Because they give me understanding that I may live. I seek his word, treasure his word, study his word, submit to the teaching of his word, learn from his word, that is, and then fourthly, proclaim God's word. Notice verse 13. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. In verse 10 and 11, we see that our hearts are to be engaged. In verse 12, we have seen we saw that our mind is to be engaged in studying. And therefore, it was internal engagement with God's word. Now, we come in verse 13 to the external engagement with God's word. How can we make our heart a home for the word of God? It is by declaring the word of God. It is by proclaiming his word. What does it mean to proclaim his word? It is to talk about his word. It is to speak about his word. It is to declare both his praises and the message of his word. And the words that come out of our mouths reveal a great deal about who we are. And they reveal about our love and our interests. They reveal what is important to us. And as you sit across, perhaps in your offices or your places of work, and you hear people talk, majority of the time as you hear them talk outside of the office setup, you get to know their heart. And the way to get to know their heart is to just hear what they talk about. If they talk a lot about football, then you know that they love football, right? On an average day, I'm told, we speak between six to 16,000 words a day. Many of you know what a word cloud is. It's this <clears throat> arranging of words in a way that shows what is the most important word of that conversation or of that article or of that book. I wonder sometimes if there were to be made a word cloud of the words that we use, what would it reveal about our hearts? Would it reveal that God's word influences and impacts everything that we do? Now that's not to make us feel guilty, but it's worth thinking about. What we talk about is what is really important to us. 
Now, declaring God's word doesn't really mean, doesn't only mean quoting God's word. It could include that. But it means to bring it to bear on our daily decisions of life. It is to make it a part of your decisions. It is to make it a part of your prayer life. It is to make it a part of the counsel that you offer to those who you disciple. It is to make it a part of sharing the gospel as you declare who God is and who man is and who Christ is and our response to the gospel. As Stephen Yule, the, the, the author that I quoted earlier, he writes, this speaking of God's word is instrumental when it comes to sanctification because it helps us to understand it more clearly and to apply it more effectively. Often, he says, the gospel doesn't affect us the way it should. There is little wonder, there is little gratitude or humility. But as we declare God's word, we engage in a personal application and appropriation of the truth. I found it so helpful to open God's word and read it audibly as I read God's word. If I'm not able to read it for some reason, either I'm tired or something like that, I have someone else read it for me. No, I don't have a servant. I have this app that, that does it. It never gets tired. My battery goes out, but the app never gets tired. So I have it someone, someone else read it for me. But I cannot read the Bible in my mind anymore. I want to hear it. Either I want to hear my own voice reading God's word, or I want to hear someone else's voice. You know, often the gospel doesn't affect us the way it should. There's little wonder, he says, or gratitude or humility. But as we declare God's word, we engage in a personal application and appropriation of the truth. As you repeatedly, audibly read God's word, you're bringing yourself under the authority of God's word. You're thinking of those words actively as compared to thinking about it passively. So seek his word, a treasure his word, study his word, proclaim his word, and notice verse 14, as we look at the fifth one, value God's word. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. You know, God's child understands the true value of God's word. A God's word brings him as much joy as all the riches in the world that he can possess. Like the psalmist, if God is your father, then you have discovered the true that true riches are found in God's word. You know, before you became a believer, it was the Bible was just another book that you knew of or may even be in possession of. Ah, but once you became a child of God, you cannot get enough of it. It's an eternal treasure. Now, Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heavens. It's eternal in nature. You value God's word. Could that be said of you and me, that we value God's word? Tim Chalice, in an article titled Appraising Your Treasures, shares this interesting story of an elderly gentleman in Tucson, Arizona. He says this gentleman had inherited a blanket. It was old, and this gentleman really thought of it as much less in value than it was. Uh, perhaps a couple of hundred bucks at the most, he said. And for most of the time, it was just lying on an old chair. 
and this man had never given much heed to it until a TV show by the name's Antics Radio Roadshow, perhaps some of you have heard about it, this roadshow came into town. What is that show? Chalice says, the show affords people the opportunity to bring their antique possessions, whether furniture, paintings, toys, or anything else, and have them appraised by some of the world's foremost experts in antiquities. And so this gentleman, this older gentleman from Arizona brought this blanket that he was in possession of, and he brought it to the appraiser. As soon as the appraiser saw this blanket, he reacted as if his heart just stopped beating. There was excitement written all over him as he said, do you realize what this is? He said, this is the Navajo chief's blanket that was woven in 1840. Uh, this is early 2000s, by the way. It was one of the oldest blankets to survive for such a long time, and certainly one of the few in existence outside of a museum. As you looked at this appraiser, Chalice goes on to say, you could not miss the excitement on his face. He could just not sit still because he knew what was before him was more than a blanket. It was a rare national treasure of incredible value. The appraiser had trouble even beginning to tell the audience how valuable this blanket was. What was the value of this blanket? He put it somewhere between $350,000 to $500,000. Some of you are looking at your blankets right now. But this was a special one. And yours is special too. This was a special one. The elderly gentleman, think about this. The elderly gentleman, he came to the show carrying a blanket that was worth more than half a million dollars. Chalice goes on to say, and I quote, it is safe to say that the blanket that the man cavalierly carried in with him was cradled carefully in his arms as he walked out. The blanket had not changed any. It was exactly the same blanket then as it was an hour before, yet something had changed. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was not the blanket, but the man had changed. What he had seen as a blanket of no extraordinary value, he now realized was an extremely rare and national, uh, 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 rare and valuable national treasure. Uh, what he had in his arms was the envy of every Indian collector in the world and of the thousands of people watching the show. What he had just liked before, he now loved and treasured. Chalice goes on to share the impact that that story had on him personally. And not soon after that, he says he sat down to study the Bible in his study room and opened it, landed on Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Achalis writes that something stirred in his soul that day. It was as if an appraiser had stood beside him and told him just exactly what he was holding in his hands. As he looked at his Bible, it was as if the book had been transformed from a blanket that was draped casually over his chair to one that was a national treasure. The book was the same, he says, but suddenly I realized its value. You know, you and I have a treasure in God's word. I don't know how many translations you have. 
I have a number of them sitting in my office and even at my home. What a treasure God's word is. What was just a book before for us as unbelievers is now a precious treasure. You know, when God delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his son, he opened your eyes and my eyes to love and appreciate the supreme treasure of his word. And one way to make our heart a home for the word of God is to value his word in our heart and in our life. Seek God's word, treasure God's word, study God's word, proclaim God's word, value God's word. Sixthly and quickly meditate on God's word. Notice verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. This is the next level of commitment to God's word. You know, the gap between knowing something and doing according to that knowledge is filled with meditation. To know God's word and to do God's word is bridged by meditation. You know, most of the times doing does not take place because we have not let the word of God settle in our hearts. We have not let it marinate in our hearts. We read something quickly and we move on and we then wonder why we have not understood God's word. It's because we have not let it settle in our hearts. Uh, Something that has been very helpful for me is Pastor Tom's notes on a short booklet that he wrote. It's called Drawing Near. He writes about meditation. He says, when we say we meditate, we can think of recalling something or remembering that thing. And this implies a deliberate choice that we make on our part. Uh, To meditate is to reflect or to think of a particular thing. It is to quietly speak the word or the thought to yourself. It's like having a discussion about that thing in your mind. That's what meditation is. You take a verse and you sit on it. And you commit to understand what that verse means And you don't move till you understand what it means. That's what meditation is. Now there's a certain level of intensity to it. And so on a practical level, if this is not something that you've done in the past, let me encourage you to do it. You want to begin doing this perhaps once a week. Take a paragraph from the Bible or even a verse from the Bible. Paragraphs are easy to identify if you have an NASB because the Uh, Paragraph changes are highlighted with the verse numbers that are mentioned in bold, so it's easy to to note paragraphs in NASB. And then go deep into what it means. Uh, Perhaps use your study Bible to understand what that particular verse or paragraph means. Uh, Do that for 15, 30 minutes. And as you do it, you come away gaining more from the text than if you just were to read it once and move on in the day. That's what... Meditation is. Take notes. If you don't have a notebook already, start taking notes on what you're learning. And as you do that, you begin to get a different sense, a different value of what God's word is. If you are already doing this, let me encourage you to continue to do that. Meditate on God's word. And seventhly and finally, it says remember God's word. Notice verse 16. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. There's our word delight again. I will delight in your statutes. It's like 
I will skip about, I will jump for joy as I think of your word. And in my delight, I'm not going to forget your words. I will remember your word. Now, to forget generally means to not bring to remembrance. There's not always an intentionality behind it. You know, you don't intentionally say, I've forgotten. You genuinely don't remember it at that time. But the way the word forget is used here, it means to not let what we know impact how we live. That's when we are forgetting God's word. It is the man who sees himself in the mirror, but he forgets what he looks like because he has not paid attention to what he looks like. It is not to be moved by what you know. That's what forgetting here is. The psalmist is saying, I'm not going to let that happen to me. What a commitment to make. As you think of applications, these all seven points that are there are all applicational in nature. Uh, As you look at it, step back and look at these eight verses, what these eight verses are calling us to do is to commit God's word to memory. It is to treasure it. It's to store God's word in our hearts. You know, one way to provide a home for God's word is to seek his word, is to treasure his word, is to study his word, is to proclaim his word, is to value his word, it's to meditate on his word, it's to remember his word. And one way to do this always is to have ready access to his word. And what better way to have ready access to God's word than to commit to memorizing God's word? Now, there are three kinds of Christians uh, in that sense, those who are already memorizing. Let me just encourage you to continue to do that. Uh, Then there are those who were memorizing and somehow just lost momentum or maybe encouragement through the process, just need some push And perhaps this text has provided us that. And then there are those who have never memorized in the past. If you were here at our Thanksgiving feast, we passed out these verse cards. There are 60 of them. Uh, Do the math. You can do a little more than a week for this year. But perhaps just carry it with you wherever you go. Perhaps put it on your dashboard when you're not driving, when someone else is driving, uh, or put it on your table so that it's readily available to you and you think on and you reflect on, deeply meditate on God's word. As you get through this stack, you will have gone through 60 verses in a year. Let me tie this all together as we come to a close. Go back to verse 9. You know, we have been talking about how to make our heart a home for God's word. Why are we wanting to do that? Because we want to be keeping our way pure. We want to live a holy life. And what does it mean to be holy? Simply to be holy is to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. God's desire is to see Christ formed in us. His purpose for us is that we would be like his son. We are never more like his son than when we desire to pursue holiness. How can you keep your way pure? How can you live a holy life? Answer, by keeping it according to his word. Let me close our time in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this evening. A great reminder from your word this is 
Lord, your word is a standard of purity for us. It, it points us to a standard of purity so we know what is right and what is wrong. Lord, your word shows us the reasons for purity so we are in a position to receive wisdom and an understanding of how we can be living pure lives. Your word shows us the blessings of purity. It gives us an incentive to make the necessary sacrifices so that we can live a life that pleases you. And so we thank you, Lord, for your word. May it be said of those who are here, those who are a part of this group, may, be, may it be said of our, even our church that they pursued purity as they sought to make your word and prioritize your word in their life. Truly, what it means to have a high view of your word is to not only make an attempt to understand your word, but to apply your word in our life. And so I pray for each one of us here today. May that be true of each one of us, that we desire to keep our way pure, and we want to do it, Lord, by keeping it according to your word. We commit the rest of the evening into your hands. We pray that you would be exalted through it all. We ask these things in Christ's precious and worthy name. Amen.